Welcome to Smart Water Solutions Podcast. I am Hakim Elfadil. This is episode number 51. The following guest is Ole Christian Siversen, the Chief Executive Officer of Desert Control. In this episode, we are going to talk one of the big problems that the whole planet is facing is that every minute there is so many land that they lose their fertility and disappear and they become like a desert. So one way to solve this problem is what desert control has developed. It's a non-chemical way, it's sustainable, and by using this liquid natural clay, which is a technology that they have developed, they are able to recover this land, they are able to save up to 50 percent of the water consumption and also um, fertilizer so in this episode we are going to break down this problem and then how this technology is solving the pr- this problem and and what are other options and how they can be combined um, to really help stop losing the land uh, stop losing the fertility of the land and uh, recovering the fertility of the land and not only for desert, the solution is 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 is, um, is valuable. It's also feasible and valuable for Greenland to reduce their water consumption and their um, fertilizer consumption. So, without further ado, um, Oli, we would like to learn about your background before joining Desert Control. Yeah. So uh, me and my background uh, is a little bit uh, distant from uh, what I work with uh, today in desert control. So I basically grew up in the world of uh, IT and digitalization and uh, the last eight years or so before uh, desert control, I was in the satellite services industry. And that's quite interesting, right? Because... um, one of the things that I've learned is that sometimes we are too close to our problems to actually see them, right? So you're so close to uh, to the problem, but you cannot see it, right? So you need a little bit of perspective. And for me to spend those years in the satellite industry, you kind of take the satellite perspective on planet Earth, and then you you, you get a different view of what's actually going on with our planet. And that was a very, very strong calling for me that uh, drove me to uh, to do something uh, way more down to earth, uh, pun intended, than uh, working with satellites um, and uh, uh, taking on the mission with uh, desert control to uh, combat desertification, the degradation of soil and water scarcity. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I, and I had a, a, a very awakening experience as well in Africa with um, one of the CSR initiatives in my previous companies uh, company there. Uh, we were supporting an organization called Mercy Ships and I went to visit them in Douala in Cameroon. And um, that was that was actually a life-changing experience for me. Uh, I, I, I came there and I spent time on board Mercy Ships hospital ship there. So they started uh, an NGO to create hope and healing in places where all hope is gone if you even get like a small infection, right? So they have medical services on the on the west coast of Africa with this floating hospital um, and seeing how they created positive ripple effects of, uh, of hope uh, in, in these places was also sort of combining this experience that I had by 
by this satellite perspective on planet Earth. And I thought, you know, how can I be part of a, of a mission that can create hope in, uh, in places where, where hope is, is being lost by, uh, you know, the land basically disappearing under your feet by desertification and uh, increasing droughts and, uh, and, and water scarcity. So that's brief about me and my background. Yeah. And then how, how was, but it was interesting if I listen closely, the, the thing that triggered your, I mean, curiosity and attention is the moment that you went to Africa and then you see, okay, there is the land is taken under from the feet of the people and there is something to be done there. But looking to the markets, um, are there other solutions that you have think that I can jump to that area to, for example, startup company in water solutions or startup company in wastewater? So why you choose Desertic? So what was the reason for you to choose the Desertic? Well, <clears throat> I think um, uh, the desert control journey for me um, uh, was a combination of, uh, of a couple of things, right? It was an innovation that had been uh, uh, created and started in my hometown in Stavanger, Norway. Um, uh, and I was living in the U.S. at the time in, uh, in, in, in Miami, and I had decided that I wanted to, to go back to, uh, to Europe. Uh, I um, um, had a connection to one of the the other uh, co-founders in uh, the company Desert Control. Uh, um, uh, and, uh, you know, what I experienced in Africa, I saw immediately the link to how this could make a difference uh, in that area. Um, so uh, it's it's a combination of those things, of, uh, of sort of a, uh, an awakening and uh, an inspiration in, uh, in, in what you want to do in your life, uh, combined with something that was more on the close arena of, uh, of, of knowing the people who had started this idea of creating this liquid natural clay solution that could uh, help to uh, restore, basically, these degraded lands. And... How big is the problem in Africa and globally in terms of land that gets desertification? Desertification, I think, every year. How how big is the problem? Well, um, the problem is 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 quite tremendous, actually, um, and I think it's not getting the level of attention that it should because. Basically, desertification is something that happens out of sight, out of mind. It happens underneath our feet, and it very often also happens by the topsoil getting thinner and thinner from underneath. I mean, we read stories about uh, even the Midwest in the U.S., where there used to be like, uh, you know, a meter deep, uh, thick, rich soil. And now there are just like 30 centimeters left. So so it's something that's going on without getting the, the level of attention because it's out of sight, out of mind. And according to the United Nations, there is 12 million hectares of uh, fertile land that perishes to desertification every single year. And that's so big numbers that it's hard for us to grasp it. So what is what is that really? I had to do the math and kind of break it down into something that we can more relate to. So I broke it into football fields. Uh, and uh, it's actually, you know, when we break that down, it's actually 2,000 football fields every hour uh, in terms of land mass that disappears. That means every two seconds, one football field is gone. If you take those football fields, like they are 68 by 105 meters long and put them after each other along the highway, you have to drive at 210 kilometers per hour just to keep up with this desertification pace. 
And if you think about it, there's also, you know, it's it's not just that we're losing fertile land uh, and, 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 and good quality soil. It's also an enormous loss of biodiversity. So uh, a tiny teaspoon of healthy soil contains more living organisms than there are human beings on planet Earth, right? So if you kind of calculate that loss of those 12 million hectares into biological life, that equals in weight more than 25 African elephants that we silently lose every year. And no, I mean, who is the owner of those lands? Is it government or private sector? I mean, no one is paying attention to those things because it's huge. If we look at them every day, it's it's huge. It's huge. But as I said, it's happening out of mind, uh, out of sight, out of mind, and it's also a very uh, distributed thing, right? So nobody is actually seeing two thousand football fields disappearing, or every two seconds, you know one football field going away uh, because it's spread all around the world. It's happening in 110 countries around the world. Uh, it's happening with the land of uh, farmers, um, um, uh, growers of various uh, food crops in the agricultural sector. It's happening with uh, governmental land, private land. So it's so distributed. And I think that is part of the problem, right? Because, uh, you know, um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's small pieces here, small pieces there. But when you accumulate everything together, the problem is actually massive. More than 20% of all the dry land areas on, on Earth that used to be fertile, that used to have a high level of production, are already degraded. More than 52% of all agricultural land is degraded to a level where there's hardly uh, possibilities to run production on it. And uh, the United Nations has calculated the cost of this annual loss of the 12 million hectares to something like 490 billion US dollars per year. That's a lot. So, and, and now this is where I would say desert control is playing a role here. So can you give us two types of definition? One definition of desert control solution to a farmer and the other one to engineer or technician who is working for the farmer to fix his land. Yeah. Um, so what we have come up with um, is basically a way to uh, to address the degradation of soil for areas that have, you know, uh, fairly sandy soils. So we're not a solution for everyone. But in the areas where the soil structure is fairly sandy, um, uh, it has a much higher exposure to degradation because you lose the water so quickly. So um, um, what we have come up with is a way to take natural minerals and natural materials such as clay uh, particles and turn them into a liquid nearly as thin as water. This liquid can be applied to the surface of the land areas and it will percolate into the ground by the force of gravity where these tiny particles of uh, clay platelets will uh, form a binder and bind themselves to every grain of sand throughout that sand structure and create an increased surface area with a high surface charge that retains water and nutrients just like a sponge. So the result of applying this is that we uh, reduce the amount of water that is required to cultivate uh, uh, the land to grow crops uh, by up to 50%. Uh, and uh, that, of course, uh, increases soil health. It uh, uh, helps on, on, on a lot of different areas. Uh, you know, one of the problems uh, when it comes to water and irrigation of these areas 
is then that less than 15% of the water that is being applied, either by rain or by irrigation system, less than 15% of that water is retained in the topsoil so that the plants can use it. The majority of the water is lost to deep drainage and runoff. I mean, it just runs through the soil. And if you take a kind of like a, 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 a cross section of the soil and you look at how the water moves in these sandy soils, you'll see like a sharp bullet shape. The water goes straight down. So if I if I irrigate from a point on the top of the land, the water will just go straight down and disappear. So when we apply this liquid natural clay, this LNC to the soil, the soil starts to behave like a rich clay soil. So the water will not go fast down, it will spread horizontally and it will be retained for a long, long time in the topsoil so that the plants can make use of it. And this is important, not just for the, uh, for, the, for the sake of the water, because if you just apply so much water, you're also washing away all your fertilizers and organic matter and other things, which is both expensive for the farmer um, and is also very important for the soil. And thirdly, these are also causing big problems for our water systems globally by the leaching of nitrogen and fertilizers and chemicals that end up in our water systems, washed through the soil, ends up in our groundwater, rivers, lakes, and eventually drive acidification and eutrophication of, uh, of oceans, right? So, so, so I would say for a farmer, um, it's a way to reduce your water consumption that will also reduce the uh, consumption of fertilizers, inputs, and operational costs, and help increase the yields. So if I understood the, the last point, if I understood correctly, so uh, it captures more water in a way that's, okay, the first hand, you don't need um, more, I mean, more than 50% of the water that you're using. And the second point is, if you if you capture water, you are not let's say, transporting all the fertilizer of everything to the ground. So it's two, so the last two values. Are exactly, okay. exactly, exactly. And then to the second part of your question to explain to more the, you know, agronomist or scientist that is working for the farmer, what's really going yeah. on here? <laughs> exactly. So, 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 uh, uh, you know, the, the more scientific people who work on the, on the farm uh, knows that, Clay-rich soils retain water and nutrients uh, much, much better than the sandy and degraded soils. Uh, and clay is something that has been used in agriculture for uh, uh, thousands of years, really. And the reason why clay is good at that is because most of the clay particles, they have a negative charge. Um, and if you think about sort of back to school, back to uh, sort of uh, physics and chemistry lessons, we learned that equal charges will oppose each other, just like the magnets the wrong way. Uh, and then uh, unequal charges will attract each other. Uh, so if we have uh, a negative charge on um, our uh, in our soil, um, and then we apply water molecules that are predominantly positive, they will be retained just like the effect of that magnet. Now, there are two things at play here. Um, one is the surface charge. Another thing is surface area. So why is surface area important um, to retain water? Well, I mean, if I take a bucket of water and I throw it over my desk here, 
the water that will most of the water will end up on the floor, right? It's not going to stay on the on the on the table. But the larger the table I have, the more surface I have, and the more water I will catch onto that surface. Now, uh, these surfaces can have different properties. So if I've just waxed my car, for example, right, then I see that the water is just disappearing and just running off because I have uh, equal charge as the water. So the, so it becomes kind of hydrophobic and pushes the water away. Then if I have a charge that actually retains the water, I will see that the water sticks there. Even if I put the table up on an elevation, the water will stick on the, on the, on the surface. So basically, that is what we do. We take the natural minerals with these specific charges and we uh, increase the surface area in the soil by taking um, uh, tiny, tiny um, uh, particles of, uh, of these minerals and putting into your soil structure, coating the sand minerals. So a sand particle basically doesn't have much charge, but when we have coated it with these natural materials, it gets a, a, a charge that will retain the water. And then all these particles, they will increase the surface area as well. And we put uh, particles in that bind these uh, coated sand pieces together. So we get a huge surface area and we get the charge that will help to retain the water. Um, it will also help to retain other uh, important nutrients uh, because we're talking about ions and cations and everything deals with charges here in the in the soil. And then how long does it last this for the sand? Are they need to every year to add a new or? Um, so our experience so far um, has uh, has uh, has shown that this uh, the, the the bindings on the coating of the sand particles um, um, are 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 staying in in uh, in place for a long time. We've seen a solid effect of this over three to five years uh, without having to do a reapplication. But the uh, particles that bind the uh, pieces together can be disturbed by other charges. Um, uh, so, for example, if you irrigate with very saline water, you may see some uh, impacts so that after the third or the fourth or the fifth year, you may have to do a small reapplication just to the top surface of your of your land. And maybe crazy question for uh, uh, someone who work in different field. So if 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 that area, for example, it becomes green within five years, does it influence, let's say, the ecosystem of that area in a way to recover what has been lost for so many years in terms of rain and? Um, it's 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 a wild it's a wild idea, right? Um, 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 and I think, um, um, of course, more more research and real life project at scale needs to be done to to have real answers for it. Um, but let me just tell you about the process. The process that I talked about applying this liquid to the to the to the sandy soil, the degraded soil. It will percolate in by the force of gravity and bind to the structure and create this uh, sponge-like structure that retains the water and nutrients. That happens within seven hours. It sounds incredible, but it happens within seven hours. Uh, and after seven hours, you can actually start to cultivate this area. It will retain the water when you are irrigating it. You're putting fertilizers in. It will be retained so that you can have a very fertile ground there. Um, um, and of course, to get the trees to grow, that may take uh, uh, a number of years, four, five, six, seven, ten years. Uh, and then when you do this at scale, what's going to be very interesting to see, I mean, uh, uh, I mean, if you're able to regrow forests that used to be there in the past, uh, um, how is that going to impact the, 
the, the, the micro and macro climates of the region. Uh, the, the, of course, it's a very interesting question. Will you have these rainforest effects that you actually start to... to uh, so I, I think it's very, very fascinating. Uh, we don't have uh, answers before it's done, but, uh, but it's very fascinating. Yeah, that's the thing that I was discussing in the past with the uh, Witsos uh, Research Center in Netherlands. And this is one of the area that they do the research. It's like um, they did in China, I mean, some area where they become like desert and they try to, I think the similar principle, try to use um, artificial clays in a way that's in the future that that area will have forest and will cover its kind of ecosystem. But as you said, it's it's uh, 10 years tests or pilot tests as to answer this question i would say yeah and, and, and also i think you need to do it at really big scale right yeah. it doesn't need to you know help to grow a small forest uh, i think some of the initiatives in the middle east uh, from driven from uh, from saudi and the middle eastern countries uh, may have some uh, long-term answers to some of these things where they have plans to plant 10 and 40 billion trees in uh, in, in in the region then uh, once these visions are realized, we'll, we'll probably see some indications of it. Yeah. So before I do have some other technical question before going to that. Uh, so when, when desert control, when you penetrate the market, what are the competitors doing? Are they doing the same? So what is the unique in terms of technology standpoint? Uh, what desert control is offering compared to what exists already in the market? Um, well, f first, uh, first and foremost, I mean, let's just look again at the dimension and the size of the problem we're addressing. I mean, 12 million uh, hectares uh, that uh, uh, perish to desertification every year, 20% of the, the, the dry lands on the planet being degraded and 52% of all agricultural soil. We need every single innovation and technology that can actually get out there. So we do not look at other solutions as as competitors, uh, we 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 look at it from a more complementary approach uh, and a synergistic approach. Um, um, and there are other solutions out there that can be used to increase the water retention in the soil. You have uh, 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 many 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 technologies that have been uh, been also tested over over time, such as biochar, polymers, various. Uh, uh, gels and things, um, uh, but where we are 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 uh, at least for now unique is by having a liquid that is nearly as thin as water that can be applied not just to um, you know um, a, a degraded system but also to an already existing ecosystem like a like a planted area um, like uh, trees forests you know even lawn areas parks um, uh, etc without damaging the existing vegetation so these particles that we have in our liquid are so small and they have such a particle density that they will go through the surface of these landscapes and then without forming a clay crust on the surface, they will penetrate th through and go into the deeper layers of the soil to form this structure where the root zones are. Um, um, so the challenge with, uh, with, with other good solutions is that you very often need to remove the surface vegetation. You need to engineer the soil and put these things uh, into, into your soil. 
Um, and if you then till this soil, you will move them around. So you'll have to keep reapplying every year. So, so that's some of the areas where we see uniqueness to what we do. Uh, but we also believe that um, uh, we can uh, combine our solution with other technologies. Uh, uh, and I think these are the areas where one plus one becomes more than two. Yeah, that's exactly what you mentioned. You remember, me, I think there is there is a term for that. They said competition. It's like uh, competition, co yeah, yeah, co yeah, a cooperation between competitors. It's really when I heard that in the yeah in the chemical well in the, yeah I think in water space, but it's it's most used in in IT space. There's so many giant companies they can they they merge. I mean, they put the effort together. Um, so um, if, if I look, for example, as you said, it's like um, fairly sandy uh, land where your solution can add more value. Um, so does it mean that you custom made your solution based on the type of land and based on type of the agriculture that that farmers <clears throat> will use or it's one solution for every type of agriculture? No, it's a very good question, and um, uh, this is uh, this is where we uh, uh, are building a big knowledge base as well. Because, I mean, every every soil is different. Soil is a living matter, and uh, you know, not two places will have the same soil. Um, even sand. I mean, uh, uh, in the beginning, when you start to look at sand, you think that sand is sand. But I can tell you that uh, just in a, in, a, in a small area, in a country like the UAE, you may find a hundred different types of sand even. So um, uh, soils are different. The mineral structures of the soil are different. Um, uh, the preferences of various plants, trees, agricultural crops, etc. are also different. I mean, you don't need to do more than go to your local garden store and you will find different soils for different types of flowers and plants, right? It's because they have different preferences. Um, um, and also all the natural minerals that we apply uh, to increase the soil's ability to retain water and, and fertilizers and nutrients also are, you know, very, very different. So we uh, uh, have developed unique formations uh, for various different environments, uh, for agricultural environments, for parks and landscape environments, and for the different soil structure, uh, structures and textures and properties. Um, and, and this is also where a bit of sort of the history from the IT industry comes to play because it becomes a lot of parameters that you need to be able to formulate based on. Um, uh, and in order to make that scalable, we are driving that with, uh, uh, with uh, data analytics, with um, AI and machine learning um, so that we can, uh, can, can really make it scalable globally because there are 110 countries in the world um, that have uh, these type of uh, more sandy soil structures that are heavily exposed to desertification, soil degradation, and increasing water scarcity. It's fascinating. I mean, what, uh, you have to combine those EI, and it's also your competency, and you, you know that, that that's the market, how it works. And if understood correctly, also, it um, desert control, it's also used for farmers who already have no problem with water, but they would like to save 50% of the water consumption and also they can reduce the consumption of fertilizer. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a very good observation because you don't necessarily need to have a, a yeah. lack of water in order to implement this. 
But I mean, uh, we'll look at what's going on in the world um, in terms of uh, uh, fertilizer prices and more scarcity of uh, of the inputs for the fertilizers. I think fertilizer prices have gone up by more than half just this year. Uh, so to reduce the 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 uh, uh, consumption of fertilizers, to retain the nutrients in our soil, and also to help the soil. Um, avoid the continuous washout of putting so much water in there is extremely valuable to these farmers. Um, um, if, if we look at a soil, um, what should a good and healthy soil uh, actually uh, uh, be made up of? Uh, um, it should be uh, uh, organic matter, up to 5% organic matter in a good, healthy soil. Um, on a global average, I think no, uh, no country has a national average over 2% today. Uh, and one of the reasons for that is, is, is this constant washout uh, that, we, uh, that we have, right? So we're trying to put compost and other things there, but still you're not seeing a buildup of organic matter in your soil. And it's because we're constantly washing it out with, uh, with uh, uh, not addressing the ability of the water to retain these things. In the same time, when you say that, I'm, I'm thinking there's so many solutions that have been developed, let's say, I think, when I was studying 10 years ago, this kind of antenna that you put in the ground and it used very basic wavelength and then it measured exactly how deep your water is penetrating your, your land. And it's yeah. automatically connected with the uh, with irrigation system and it stopped when it reached 50 or 70 centimeters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those things have been used. I think if 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 those things combine with your solution, then it's really you will you will precisely you know monitor the water at deep. I mean, even yeah. Excellent point. Excellent point. Uh, so so I think uh, um, you know just doing um, um, a treatment of your soil so the soil becomes more healthy and retains more water alone is just part of the equation. You also need to manage the water that you put in your land because basically if you if you improve your soil to, re to actually retain twice as much water and, and, and fertilizer, if you're not changing the behavior at the same time um, uh, and applying less water and applying less fertilizer, you haven't gotten any gains. And these technologies, such as the measurement of uh, soil humidity levels, et cetera, and the different depths are excellent. We're using that in almost all of our projects. Uh, um, so we have these uh, soil uh, sensors that go down on the different depths, measure the, the moisture level, and then we match that with the plants because certain plants, they'd like to have like 5%, 10 20% soil humidity. And then we can make sure that we keep that soil on the right humidity level. And only when you're kind of passing the thresholds of too low, low moisture in your soil, you're activating the irrigation system and applying just the amount of water that you need. Um, and of course, uh, if you combine a good soil texture and structure that retains the water with a good control of your irrigation system and measuring this uh, so that you're not driving blind, you will get uh, amazing results. Exactly. And those results, I mean, it, it, even if we, uh, I mean, apply them up on 10% of the existing agricultural land, we would save so much because you know the number is more than 60% of water consumption goes to the agriculture. It's it's actually it's actually more than 70% on a yeah. global global average. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I just read some updated statistics from California and the water usage from the Colorado River and Colorado uh, basins, 90% of the water there goes to agriculture, right? So it's really, really high. And it's also an area that keeps uh, growing. So the 70% on a global average keeps increasing with the degradation of soil because as more soil turns to sand, I mean, you need even more water to uh, to maintain um, uh, the agricultural production. Uh, so also we need more production, right? Because uh, we have a global population that is growing. Uh, and I think the projections are if we head towards 10, 11 billion, that we need to grow more food in the next 40 years than the planet has grown uh, over the last 500 years combined. So um, yes, we're going to need all that water and we're going to need to preserve it to make sure we can do a lot more with less. Right. And before jumping into the case studies, because really that's also the audience would like to learn exactly how it works and what is the impact that has been done so far in the region where I have been, in, I have, I've seen in LinkedIn also, you have some projects in the Middle East, etc. But I do have a question regarding this technology. So it started someday in the lab or as an ID, okay? And it has taken so many R&D years. So what was the challenging when you discuss with your team from an ID in the lab to an industrial or to real land implementation? So what was the journey in this development? Yeah. Um, so, so the idea for this uh, came up in around 2005, uh, and uh, it basically took 12 years of R&D to to get it right. Uh, right. So, typically, what happens in an entrepreneurial journey with um, uh, an inventor-driven uh, uh, concept like this is that that first part of the journey focuses extremely strong on the technology itself, uh, right? And, and, and one of the dangers there is that you fall so much in love with your solution and your technology that you forget about the problem and how to get it out in the world. So uh, one of the challenges in that journey is to find that right balance because you need to get the technology right, but you also need to make sure that you focus on what are the problems that I'm trying to solve and how do I actually build this in a way that it can become scalable and possible for you know, users to actually adopt this technology. Um, so so uh, in our case, one of the challenges was that over the 12 years of R&D, of course, you're trying to be very, very careful with, uh, with spending money, right? So you're trying to do everything yourself. Um, and that's good, but it's also challenging when it comes to scientific uh, breakthroughs like this, because if you've done everything yourself, you've invented it, you've developed it, you've built it, you've tested it, you even ran your pilot projects and you designed your pilot projects yourself and you measured the results and you documented it, that's great, but nobody's going to believe it because it sounds too good to be true. And if you don't have external validation by independent, reliable parties, you're not going to be able to raise capital and money and, 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 and other things that are also super important for an innovation to thrive. So, so, so that was really key to, uh, to, to the journey of, uh, of desert control. After those 12 years of R&D, uh, we got on board a uh, chairman of the board, uh, Mr. Knut Nesse, who had lots 
experience um, uh, from the more sort of industry uh, industrialization of things. Uh, um, uh, and uh, his first uh, observation was we need to have significant independent validation of this in order to uh, really get an adoption and to get uh, shareholders to, to to buy into it. So then we uh, we um, uh, started to work with uh, organizations such as ICBA, International Center for Biosaline Agriculture, with various universities, etc., to do these uh, 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 feasibility studies, these uh, independent validation studies, etc., where we had uh, very good results that confirmed a lot of the uh, same findings that the sort of internal team had discovered um, uh, previously. Uh, and that made it possible to uh, uh, get the uh, support of uh, shareholders, investors, to attract capital, to take this to the next ID, which then focused on, um, uh, you know, can we actually make it scale? Uh, how how will the unit economics look like? Can we get it to a, a cost level that will be, you know, worth the investment by the uh, landowners and the farmers, et cetera, et cetera? Um, uh, so, so I think those are, are, are some very important points for other um, innovators with great ideas to think about. So, uh, you know, fall in love with the problem that you're trying to solve, not with your own technology uh, only. Um, make sure that you have uh, independent validation uh, so that uh, 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 solutions that sound too good to be true are actually confirmed and validated by others and think very strongly about how to actually make it scalable so that you can get it out in the world. Yeah, and how valuable independence validation in terms of shaping the direction of the technique? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Because there are a lot of things that, um, especially if you're a little bit in love with your product and with your ID, that you will you will not see them, right? It's like uh, I talked about in the beginning, being too close to your problem, right? Uh, to get that perspective from others who see things from different angles. Uh, and also to work with... Uh, uh, I mean, we've had very good experience working with uh, the universities and their extension departments as well, because they bring in the perspective of the farmer, of the grower, of the landowner. Um, uh, so, so it's very, very enriching for your innovation journey to get those external perspectives in. Can you share some case studies so far that you have done um, in the Middle East or outside the Middle East? Sure, sure. So, so um, I mean, we have uh, uh, lots of uh, of uh, case studies, uh, pilots, uh, independent validation initiatives uh, from the Middle East. Uh, uh, one of the first ones we did was a little bit outside of the agriculture area. We started with uh, um, uh, grass landscapes because the Middle East they have a lot of parks and a lot of green areas, uh, and that consumes a lot of water. And there is a strong interest to reduce the water consumption in these areas to free that up for food production and agriculture and uh, uh, tree planting, etc. So um, uh, we worked on uh, on a validation uh, with ICBA for uh, these grass landscapes like Bermuda grasses and turf grasses, etc., uh, where we um, uh, saw very, very good results, uh, uh, not just on the water saving. I mean, the water saving that we documented in that program 
was 47%. So we used 47% less water to maintain a green and healthy um, uh, ecosystem uh, compared to the untreated plots. It was a scientific validation with random, uh, complete randomized block design, replications and small plots and, uh, and, and uh, done in a, in, a, in a scientific way. But what we also saw was some really interesting uh, changes to the soil uh, um, and ecosystem. We saw, for example, that the microbiome of the soil, sort of this, uh, this, this life of um, all these organisms that I talked about and the fungal networks uh, uh, were very positively stimulated. So like mycorrhiza fungal networks that are kind of extending the root structure and making plants uh, able to absorb even more of the water and nutrients grew a lot bigger. Uh, in the uh, LNC treated plots, we also saw that salinity drop significantly. And uh, that's very important because soil salinization is a big issue uh, around the world. So the salt level of the topsoil was reduced significantly by two factors, both by the natural minerals that we composed and put together in the LNC that was applied that changed the electrical conductivity of the soil. So we drove the salinity down. But secondly, because you put less water in there, and most water today that you irrigate with uh, in both landscapes and in agriculture have a bit of salt in the water. Salinity in the water uh, will be filtered by the soil and the sal salt level in the topsoil will increase. And when you control your soil uh, and you, you, you irrigate less, you're also applying less water and less salinity. So those two factors together also were very, very uh, positive uh, uh, things. We also saw the organic matter production or the, the yield of the, of the treated areas significantly higher. And then we, we, we continued that with the validation on agriculture. So we did uh, with ICBA in the same kind of follow-up study, we did watermelons, zucchinis and pearl millet. Uh, and we had similar level of water savings uh, and uh, uh, fertilizer savings, uh, as well as yield increases from 17 all the way up to 62% higher yields. And how is that possible? Is it because of um, the, the fertilizer that you keep high level concentration? <clears throat> Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is because you're retaining the fertilizers and the nutrients that the plants mm -hmm. need to grow. Um, so what we've typically seen, we saw it also very clearly in a recent pilot that is currently ongoing in Arizona in collaboration with the University of Arizona. We saw these things very clearly in the beginning when we transplanted um, bell peppers and watermelon uh, seedlings uh, to the ground. Um, in the beginning, they are very, very sensitive, of course. And what we saw in the treated plots compared to the controls was that the leaves of the plants turned yellow in the bottom. So the lower part of the plant was yellow and then is green in the tip in the control areas, whereas the treated were green all the way. And that's a clear indication of nitrogen deficiency. We applied the same amount of, uh, of nitrogen or fertilizer on both sides, uh, but it just proves that the nitrogen leaches and disappears uh, and is not retained for the plant to, 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 to use it. Is, and then is it something also like, uh, is, is there other component like the, the dispersion of the minerals? Because I did one episode in the past 
is one company who developed like a, like magnetic field for the water so that the ions really disperse in the water and they really improve the efficiency of agriculture because agriculture need ions that really disperse in the water. Is it also something that in your system is is playing a role? Dispersing it, 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 the ions? It, yeah, we we are actually actually by by increasing surface area and surface charges in the soil we're kind of doing some of the same things right so if you think about how ions and cations will move in this structure when you have specifically designed certain natural materials that will have the properties to either uh, uh, retain or, or or push away certain things that you want or don't want in your soil structure um, you can compare it to your sample yes and in terms of OPEX for the farmers, um, if I mean, how would he say, for example, per hectare or per square meter if he adopts um, um, desert control solution? So, um, um, I mean, in, in terms of the, the OPEX for the farmer, let's think about that for a while. So what are the main costs of, uh, of a farmer today? Well, I mean, um, uh, you have the cost of your land, uh, which is uh, impacted by the quality of your soil. Uh, you have the cost of your operations, um, uh, which is, of course, the seeds. Uh, it's also the larger cost is actually the fertilizers and the organic inputs, compost, urea, and these things that you put into your soil. And um, in a growing um, aspect is also becoming the water. Uh, water costs are increasing. Many farmers haven't paid for water at all, but that's starting to change. Um, and in addition to that is energy, right? Um, so uh, if you have uh, groundwater systems or you have uh, irrigation systems, you need electricity to drive pumps and things like that to get this around. Uh, and then the rest is your operational cost. Now, if you're able to reduce, say, your water consumption by 30, 40, 50%, that's going to trickle through to all of those other operational areas, right? That means 30, 40, 50% less consumption of energies to run your pumps. It means less strain on your irrigation systems. When the water moves more laterally, it means maybe that you can have half the amount of irrigation lines as well. So you have a large saving on your capex for uh, putting out uh, irrigation systems in your land. And you reduce significantly the, uh, the input costs of fertilizers, compost, urea, because you retain it in your soil. And over time, you'll build uh, more organic matter that increases also the value of your of your land on a long term. So 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 um, uh, yeah, it's 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 multifaceted um, and it, uh, it it can have a positive impact on many areas. Yeah, that's definitely. And in terms of practicality, if a farmers in Africa or wherever in the world, so how does it function? Do you? supply everything or they need to find by themselves an OEM, a company who really uh, put the sensors, put an algorithm and understand the cycle between water and your technology or you offer the whole system? So now in the beginning, um, we've just uh, uh, started to, uh, to um, um, after all these uh, the 12 years of, uh, of R&D and then uh, three, uh, three, four years of independent validations, we're starting to 
deploy at scale now in the Middle East, in the UAE um, as the first country. And there we provide a turnkey service. Uh, so um, we come out to the farmer or the landowner. Um, we um, uh, sit down and discuss what are the challenges. We define uh, what is it that uh, they want to fix. Uh, avoid and achieve what are their objectives uh, then uh, we um, uh, do uh, analysis of the current state so we do soil samples um, um, of the land in the different areas that we will be looking at treating and improving we do water um, analysis of the irrigation water etc uh, to understand how to put together the optimal formulation and then we uh, bring our mobile processing units out to the farm and we actually produce and process the liquid natural clay on site and we deploy it either with the irrigation systems or other spraying technologies to apply it to the fields, uh, implement the sensors, uh, uh, put up uh, the dashboards uh, so that it's easy for the farmer to see, you know, uh, uh, when do I need to irrigate or am I irrigating too much or too little and how do I optimize uh, my land management going forward. So so in the UAE, we're, we're offering this complete service. That's also uh, the second country where we started now is the U.S., uh, 40% um, of the uh, continental United States is at risk of desertification. So, so um, uh, uh, there we uh, we are out early, and we're also starting with the same turnkey approach in the beginning. But we know that we need to scale a lot faster because we have 12 million hectares uh, uh, perishing every year. So we need to get to scale and we need to get to a model where we can scale this through partners, through um, uh, uh, distribution systems and other ways. Uh, and that's why we're working very, very hard on our algorithms and our automation systems and stuff like that. Because to do the production of the LNC, right now uh, and the reason why we're doing this turnkey service is because it's like operating a very advanced uh, coffee machine like you go to the italian restaurant and you need to have like a two-year barista training to actually make that good coffee um, well uh, that's where we are today but we are developing this to get to the level where it's going to be as predictable and easy to make that right type of liquid um, for the specific context of land as it is to go to your coffee machine in the office and touch the LCD display and say that I need, because I have root vegetables in this type of sandy soil, I need a cappuccino with one dash of uh, caramel syrup uh, and then I have it. Uh, so so that's how we're looking at scalability for the future. Yeah, I'm assuming even though the land is not the land, the, the the, the climate is not the climate, but there's still some learning that you can leverage from one area to the other. Absolutely. Huge, huge learnings from one area to the other. Also, huge learnings from the interaction that we have with uh, universities, uh, uh, independent research organizations, and not to not uh, not uh, to forget the 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 interaction and the feedback we have by working with farmers, growers, and landowners, and seeing you know how this uh, this uh, turns out in in the different contexts. Uh, also, uh, using our data collection systems for uh, monitoring the performance of this to see suddenly you see you have 
have certain batches that you produced in certain location that give a, a, a much better uh, than expected outcome and to be able to go back with traceability and see what was it that we did there. Uh, and it can be the material selection, it could be the, the water, it could be even down to the operator, you know, that uh, uh, that was doing the job that is doing something in a different way than someone else that suddenly gave you a golden batch that says, okay, if we can go and replicate this for that type of land, we'll have better results going forward. Right. And then the the most interesting also thing that I found in in uh, in, um, in your solution while I study it is like, it has less complexity to use. That's what I think the farmers, they hate complexity. <laughs> you make their, their system so complex. And the second point is, Correct me if I'm wrong. There is no chemicals have been used in your system. That's correct. Very interesting for me. When I search also in, in in scientific articles, I find so many nanoparticles, but most of them, they use polymers or some chemicals. Although those chemicals, they're not bad. They can be used in the sand. But just, you know, when you think that you are getting your food from something which is with the polymers, you always have bad feeling, even though there is nothing wrong with that, you know? Yeah, yeah, and I think I think um, a reason to, for us at least, to deliberately stay away from agents and uh, and chemicals as as part of the solution, is because I think there may be nothing wrong with them, but it may take ten or twenty years of research to actually know what's what is it uh, doing, right? So, so we we feel that that's that's something that is a really long term play, and you need to see. How is it, you know, changing the soil, interacting with the food uh, over over a long period of time? So, so um, we have uh, developed a process that is uh, 100% natural. This is also the reason why we have these mobile processing units. Because, I mean, the disadvantage for us as a company by that is that we cannot, you know, uh, produce uh, this LNC and put it um, in uh, the local uh, grocery stores for you to pick up a can and just apply in your garden, right? Because it's not storable. It needs to be produced fresh and applied within, you know, 24 to 48 hours after we processed it. It needs to be in the ground because we're using um, the processing technique and we're uh, uh, doing things um, that's, uh, that, that, that requires us to have a fresh product and apply it to the soil, not something that is stored where particles of these natural minerals may re-aggregate, et cetera. Um, uh, so so um, um, uh, it's, it's, it's more challenging to work with because you need to process it locally, but we've built a very good model for that with these smaller processing units instead of huge centralized factories. And that also gives us some other benefits that we don't need to have, you know, truckloads of cars uh, uh, transporting these huge amounts of liquids around. We actually produce it on site. So on-site production? On-site. So we come to the farm, we process it on the farm. There is uh, way less transportation into the to the farm or the, 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 the land area. Um, uh, and it's it's easy to apply. It's very very easy. It's it's there's not a lot of complication because you can apply it either through the irrigation systems uh, or with any you know irrigation or spraying technique to the land. You don't need to remove the surface vegetation. Uh, it will go in and it will not create any clay crusts or mineral structures or crustings on the top of your surface. Yeah, and then uh, how long does it take? That's the technician or the one who is controlling, who is um, uh, operating the land, can 
be independent in terms of using your technology in terms of know-how i mean do you teach him in a way that after one year he can be independent to use understand your solution and afterwards can use it <clears throat> Yeah, I, I mean, um, uh, basically, it's so simple uh, uh, that uh, that you can be fairly uh, self-going on using this um, uh, within days, really, right? Because the only thing that we do is that we change the soil texture and structure and charge levels so that more water is retained. If you still apply too much water, you will see it that the water will still trickle through your soil and you will lose it. But if you stop the faucet, you see it's being retained there. So by also having um, our sensors in the ground and showing a simple dashboard to the to the user uh, that he sees that, well, I mean, my soil has to all the humidity it needs now. I don't need to irrigate. Right. So as long as you can have that on a phone, uh, right, and you can you can see, oh, I don't need to irrigate today because I have enough moisture. Well, then 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 it's easy to understand. It's easy to use. Uh, uh, there is no complication and, and, and things that you need to 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 deal with. Right. And uh, my last question would be, what do you have in your innovation pipelines right now? <clears throat> Yeah, I touched on it a little bit. So, so um, um, we're of course constantly developing uh, uh, more um, advances to our uh, uh, data collection and monitoring and these dashboards, right? Uh, to 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 have a good uh, sustainable land managed solution that's easy to use, easy to understand. Uh, um, uh, we're also doing lots of uh, of uh, advances continuously on the different formulations. Uh, um, right to be able to deal with different types of lands, different types of soils, different types of plants, um, and also different types of water. Um, what we've seen is, for example, that producing this LNC can be uh, sensitive to uh, sort of water salinity and water pH and different things. So we're developing um, unique formulations uh, so that we can use these different uh, types of qualities of water. Um, we're also working on areas so that we can increase uh, the land's resilience to use other water sources. Uh, 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 for example, uh, using more of uh, treated water, um, uh, recycled water in uh, uh, in, in green ecosystems and landscapes uh, and have the soil uh, uh, constructed in a way that it can actually uh, deal with that and be more resilient to that this uh, is also uh, some of the things we're working on. Super excellent. Thank you very much, Ole. And uh, is anything that you would like to share with the audience before closing the episode? No, well, I thank everyone for uh, for tuning in and a uh, big thanks to you as well for putting the spotlight on these important uh, topics. Uh, I think uh, what we're dealing with is, as I said, uh, out of sight, out of mind um, uh, and um, something that deserves uh, uh, the global spotlight that you put on it by putting it here on this uh, podcast. Uh, and um, uh, anyone who listens, uh, Think about uh, water consumption when it comes to food. I think we can look at various um, uh, food products and things we buy in the store and we can read how many calories there are in there. We should also ask and demand for markings of water footprint uh, on this uh, to make sure that we can make sustainable choices as uh, as people and put the, 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 the pressure to actually keep driving more water efficiencies in our food production. Thank you very much, Oli. It's a very powerful and valid point to conclude the episode.